Do you want to reach the people that you love most with the good news of God's grace? Join author and international evangelist Sammy Tippett as he interviews Christian leaders who will ignite your passion to bring others to Christ. I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus, and I want to welcome you to this podcast, Ignite Your Passion, your passion for sharing the love of Jesus with other people. Uh, This is our, our first, this is our launch podcast, and I'm so excited about it, the whole series, but I'm especially excited because today we have a very special guest. A number of you who have been in evangelism courses and evangelism classes will recognize his name, Dr. Robert Coleman. He's the author of Master Plan for Evangelism. And, uh, oh, what that book has been translated into numerous languages and has been a blessing to so many people. But today we're going to start somewhere a little different. We're going to come back in our next uh, podcast and talk about the book. But today I I want to take you back to where I met Dr. Coleman. It was almost 50 years ago at Asbury College and Seminary. Dr. Coleman, welcome to Ignite Your Passion, and we're just so thrilled to have you here with us. Well, it's a privilege to be here with you, Sammy. And uh, we we met in 1970. Uh, In February of 1970, there was a great revival, move of God's Spirit at Asbury, Uh, I came through there a couple of months later uh, in February of 1970 in Monroe, Louisiana. There was also a move of God's spirit. The two were totally not connected, except God was doing something in that moment. Uh, And I was in Monroe, Louisiana, and, and a group of young people and I decided to walk across America, and we pushed a wheelbarrow loaded with Bibles, and we heard about what God had done in Asbury, so we came to Asbury. And, uh, and stop there, and that's where I met you. Uh, you uh, and, and what I saw, just the aftermath of what I saw at Asbury was extraordinary. You were there uh, during that revival. You were a professor, is that correct? That's correct, at the seminary. Right, and, and I, uh, I, that's where I met you. I think I actually came into one of your classes and spoke at that time. Tell us what happened at Asbury in 1970. Uh, I, I think it would be encouraging for, for people to hear that. Well, it began in the winter, I think February in, in 1970. Actually, it had started in the hearts of some earlier than that, but we didn't realize what was happening until that third day of February. In the college chapel that morning, the speaker started off by saying he really didn't feel led to preach, but he was going to share his testimony, but he had some time left over and he invited anyone that wanted to say something that was fresh in their life, not just go over something that had been long ago, but to talk about where they stood with God right now. And there was a young man who stood up in the chapel and began to pour out his heart saying he was about ready to graduate that year but he had to confess he didn't have what he had been hoping to share with people. He was, he said, without that sweet sense of the presence of God Mm. and confessed his sin publicly right there in the morning assembly. Mm. And when he finished, a young lady stood up and began to say something very similar, how she too had 
gotten away from the Lord, made a confession. At that time, it just sensed the Spirit of God had moved in on that whole uh, congregation wow. of about a thousand students. And a professor stood up and said, if anybody wants to come to the altar and pray, that's the custom there at the college, that they should feel welcome. There's no urging at all, but immediately numbers of people came forward, soon filled the altar in the front seats and even overflowed into the aisle. And it continued on through that, through that morning. The bell rang announcing that it was time to go to the next class, but no one left. And even in the dining room that, that day at noon, no one showed up hmm. except those who had uh, missed chapel earlier. Hmm. Uh, they stayed. Uh, they didn't know what was, was going on. Even they began to trickle in later on. It continued through that day and on into the afternoon and evening. Later, a reporter heard about it in Lexington, and he sent over a television crew to make a record of it. And he began his afternoon or his primetime newscast that night about 5.30 by saying he had visited the campus at Asbury College and he had seen something that he wanted everybody uh, to see. So he put on live some scenes that had been filmed earlier that day where people were praying around the altar making public confessions from the platform and then just going over and hugging everybody, telling how much they love God. He said he had been witnessing this for a couple of hours, but he said he had seen it and still couldn't believe it. Hmm. And then he just put on the scenes that had been filmed earlier that day. Well, this continued through that night. The next morning, there were still people praying in in the the assembly hall there at the college, had been there all night. I guess probably a hundred or so. It continued through the day. It began to build uh, attendance. Soon the auditorium was filled. People were coming in now from other places, and it continued on through through that day and night for eight days and nights. By the third day, it had even overflowed into the seminary. Now you. You have to realize theologians usually take a little longer to catch on when there's the power <laughs> of revival. But soon both institutions were shut down, no classes. Everybody was just concerned about revival, getting right with God. And as they would uh, find their release and their, their infilling of the Holy Spirit, they would go out and tell people. No one was organizing it. Calls were coming in now from all over the country. Come and tell us what had happened. And for a number of weekends, half the student body were out just giving their story in their home churches or wherever they were invited. And this continued for four months wow. until commencement in June. Hmm. And it began to spread elsewhere as others heard the story. You know, That's uh, when you came after you'd heard about it. And that was the spirit of the revival in 1970. You, you know, I, uh, I have friends who were at Southwestern Seminary when students from Asbury came there, and the same thing happened at, uh, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, That's right. 
uh, I remember those time. students. Yeah. And I'd gotten a call earlier from Roy Fish, who was professor of evangelism at Southwestern. He had heard about the revival and said, could you get some of the students just to come down here and tell us what is going on? And I remember I just walked out in the hall and grabbed, uh, I think, three students. And I said, can you leave immediately to go down to Fort Worth and tell what's happened? And so they got in the car and drove all that day and got to Fort Worth, I think, late that night. And they told the story. And it happened there at Southwestern, just like you said. And, and they had already been praying for revival, but they didn't know how it was going to come. Yeah. In fact, one of those boys, when he got there, he heard there was a prayer meeting going on in the basement in the in the dormitory. So he went down there and stood in the back. And they were, sure enough, there were people around there praying. And he, they said, well, who are you? You just came on. He said, well, I just wanted to come from Asbury to tell you what's going on on our campus. He said, well, we've been praying for revival here. Tell us what happened. And so he shared his story. And that was the account of many, many people as they had the opportunity to go out and share what had happened in their lives. Yeah, and, and this happened in institutions all over the country. It was an amazing thing. The students went out, and, and it was, it was a, a move of God's Spirit that's just unexplainable. Let me share one story with you that I don't know if you knew about. You know, when we pushed our wheelbarrow across America, calling for revival and calling for repentance, we ended up in Washington, D.C., DC and we prayed and fasted. But when we got to the D.C. area, I was asked to speak at a church. And there was a singing group that was singing at this church, and they had come from the Church of God, a college in Anderson, Indiana. And what had happened was some students from Asbury went over to the, the, the Anderson, Indiana Church of God College, and uh, where revival had broken out, and revival did break out as a result of the students being there. And they formed a singing group, and this singing group started traveling and sharing the gospel all over the U.S., and they ended up in D.C. where we were, and there was a young man who was one of the leading drug dealers in, in all of the Midwest who had been converted in Anderson, Indiana in that revival, and he was there sharing his testimony. When I got up to speak, this young man walked out, and I thought, what, what's wrong with him? And he came back about 15 minutes later, and he had about 20 or 30 drug addicts that, he, that were outside that he brought into the church, and they gave <laughs> their hearts to Christ. And it, 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 was, it was really exciting. But all of that was a result of what God had done at Asbury. Uh, you, you know, revival, you know, I think, well, let me just ask you this. Can that happen today? What what happened at Asbury? I'm not saying the exact same formula or the way it looks, but can is God able in the context of our cultural situation today? Could that kind of thing happen today? Well, it could, but God always suits it to the particular culture and the situation where the people are. The principles of revival, I think, would be the same, but the way it manifests itself could be different. Okay, well, but the reality well, is that people come alive to God, and that's, that's what really under, undergirds the whole movement of the Spirit. What is the relationship, then, between revival and evangelism? Well, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's inevitable that you want to share what God is doing in your life. Actually, it's the Spirit of God who is at work in the whole process of lifting up Christ and bringing people to know the Lord. 
The basic idea is simply coming alive to God. That's what the root really means in the Old Testament. It comes from a root meaning to live where you are what God made you to be in the beginning, to love him, to know him, and to have your joy in him forever. That's the reality that comes into the experience of people who are experiencing revival. Okay, you, you mentioned something just a moment ago, and, and let's take what you just said and go back to what you said. You said the principles of revival are the same. What are those principles of revival that you believe are constant throughout the generations? Well, it's simply returning to the way God made us in the beginning, that we could truly know him and have our joy in him. As the psalmist pray, will to not revive us again, O Lord, that your people may rejoice in you. So it begins revival with the people of God, those who are called by his name and humble themselves and pray and, and turn from their wicked ways. Then, God says, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. But the principle of focusing your attention upon the reality of God turning to God. And when you see God, you see how undone we are, how we've all turned to our own way. And it brings a spirit of conviction and repentance. There's the turning away from sin, whatever the spirit has pointed out in our life. That's not where God wants us to be. And you confess it. There's a brokenness. There's a, a simple sense of contrition and humility that overflows in faith, in confidence that what God says he will do. And so it erupts in joy and that spontaneous impulse and to share what God is doing. So evangelism is inevitable. Yeah. You see it in its fullness at Pentecost when those disciples who were filled with the Spirit immediately felt constrained to go out and declare the wonderful works of God. And so you don't have to work up evangelism. Evangelism is the natural overflow of the Spirit of God when people are filled with the love of God. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've discovered is that uh, evangelism that flows from a, a revived heart is the cheapest form of evangelism. <laughs> By that, what I mean is that, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money on all this slick publicity and all of this. When people's hearts are just filled with God and overflowing, it, it comes naturally and, 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 and a church that is filled with people who are filled with God uh, is going to be a growing church. It's going to be a church that's, uh, that's, that's seen people come to know Jesus Christ. I, I was pastor in Germany uh, for a number of years in an American military community, and, uh, and, and I began to teach people to pray and to meet alone with God. And, and that one thing caused an explosion of growth in our church. Uh, we didn't have big publicity campaigns or anything else. People just began to meet with God, and out of the overflow of what God was doing in their hearts, they began to share Christ with others. And I think that's what you're saying. Yes, it's, it's beautiful to see how people respond to authenticity when they recognize what the church is doing out of a pure motive of love. It's not contrived. You don't work it up, but it's an overflow of what God is doing. And that captivates people who are sincere, who are looking for some answers in their life. 
but it's the heart of the people of God now filled with the spirit that attracts people. Yeah. Yeah. I can, let me share an example in my own life. I don't know how much time we've already taken, but when I began to pastor after I'd been preaching a few years, I was in seminary and was assigned a little church over in Indiana where it was uh, certainly in need of revival. It had been there for a long time. There's a cemetery on both sides of the church that was pretty well filled. So it must have been a pretty good size, hmm. thriving church, but it had dwindled away one thing after another. And it had gotten down to where there were maybe 20, maybe at best on a good Sunday, 25 people that would come counting all the children. And it was really run down at the hills, and it was kind of a disappointment to try to preach in that situation. There were only two men that came to church. The rest were just women and children. And the reason the men came, one brought his wife. He dearly loved her. She she loved the church, so he would go with her. The other was mad at a preacher at a community church nearby. He would just come and sit in my church and stare at me. The rest were just people that were coming out of habit, but it was a church that was really dying. And that's where I ended up as my first church. Mm. And I knew immediately what we needed was to, to have revival, to come alive. Uh, we couldn't expect people to come to church when it was just bitterness and bickering and uh, antagonism in the church. You couldn't blame people for not wanting to come. Yeah. So I, after it had been there several months, I said, we're going to have a revival. And one man made a sign. He just painted it and put it out on the highway on the Mockport Road that went down to the river. And we were about four miles away from Cordon, Indiana, the county seat of this town in Indiana. And so announced a revival, and we would begin with prayer. That's the way you have to start. Yeah. But only uh, some old ladies and their kids uh, came. One man said, if you don't stop this prayer meeting every night while people will be so tired, they couldn't come to revival even if you had a meeting. <laughs> but we went ahead as we had planned after a week of prayer, then we would have uh, preaching. Well, of course, we had to do the best we could. We couldn't bring in an evangelist, someone who was experienced. So I had to do the preaching just like everything else in this church. I was even the janitor. But I preached my heart out, and no one responded. Hmm. And it it was customary to give an invitation then after preaching. No one came forward, and I felt like I was a failure, but didn't want to quit when it looked like uh, that the devil was winning. So I said, we'll, we'll go on for another week. Hmm. So we started. Now, this had been the third week people had been wanting to come to church. And nothing was happening. Someone said there's not enough excitement in this church to ruffle the fuzz on a gander's nose. <laughs> but we went ahead, no one responding, but I was preaching my heart out. I'd already run out of sermons, and I'd get a new sermon in the morning going out in the pasture and just take an old Thompson chain reference and look in the concordance. And I'd take a theme, I'd be on sin or repentance or faith or the grace of God. I preached on heaven and hell. but. You know, it wasn't much profound preaching in terms of the outline and the 
and the correct way of homiletics, but I was giving them the word of God. Mm. And the word will convict. And still there wasn't any response. Then I remembered, though, years ago, I'd read in some communities, it was the custom in a time of crisis or emergency to ring the church bell, Hmm. and especially when someone had passed away. And then people would come and inquire uh, who had died and what time the funeral would be. I don't know where it was. I'd forgotten even where I read it. But that came across my mind. I'd been preaching now going on into the third week, or this would have been the second week of preaching after a week of prayer. And then I remembered that. And I decided to myself, if no one responds tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ring the church bell. Hmm. Well, it hadn't been rung in a long time because the rope had been broken and they hadn't even put another rope back on. So I had someone get up there and tie a rope on the bell and I resolved, if no one comes forward tonight, I'll, I'll ring the church bell. And no one came forward. So I told the people, I walked out of the pulpit down the front of the church and said, if no one responds, I, I think that I'm going to ring the bell tonight because people are here around this church are lost. And yeah. This is an emergency. This is a crisis. And so I walked back and put my hand on that rope and began to toll the bell. Immediately, there were three of my church members that jumped up and said, Pastor, we're not going to stand for this. This is, this is embarrassing us, and you're making a fool oh, of yourself. No. And I said, well, I don't want you to feel that way. I, I just feel like I've got to do something here to try to get people to listen to the Word of God. And they said, well, if you don't stop that bell, we'll go and get the sheriff. He'll come out of here and arrest you. Oh, and sure wow. enough, they walked out of the church. And they went into Cordon, Indiana. They got the sheriff to come out. Oh, my. In the meantime, we were there at the church and just wondering what would happen. And they came back. Sure enough, about 12 o'clock, I heard their car driving back. And then it was the sheriff who was coming after them. He walked up to the door of the church. And he said, who's in charge here? And I said, well, I'm the pastor. And I remember he looked at me. I hadn't met this man. He had been new since that summer. And he just looked at me and he said, well, you're just a young preacher, aren't you? I said, yes, I, it's my first church. He said, well, he said, I have to tell you, some of your own church members have come in and told me that you're making a nuisance of yourself out here. People can't even sleep because of you ringing that bell. I said, yes, sir. They, they told me that. <laughs> and he, he said, what are you, what's up? What's going on out here? And I said, sir, a lot of these people that are within the sound of this bell are lost. You know, if they don't get right with God, they could go to hell. Hmm. He looked at me kind of solemnly just for about a minute or two, just looked me in the eye. And he says, well, Young fellow, I say you're just a beginner. But I'll tell you what I'll do. If you'll just quit ringing that church bell, I'll forget the whole thing. <laughs> well, that made sense with me. I was getting tired. We'd been ringing that bell now for about three hours. Wow. In fact, after the first uh, half hour, three, two boys came up and said, Preacher, 
we know you're getting tired. We'll help you ring the bell. And I said, well, that's, that's good. I need some help, but you have to go to the altar first. And so those two boys, I guess they were maybe, maybe 10 years old. Uh, they had already gotten things settled at the altar, hmm. but we continue to ring that bell on, until the sheriff came. And when he told me that uh, if I'd stop, he'd forget everything that had been preferred the charges against me for disturbing the peace. And that made sense to me. And I remember I, after everybody left, I went over to where there was a friendly home where I'd visited. I'd visited every house within a mile or two of the church. I just opened the back door, which was open. They didn't lock their doors there. I laid down on the, on the couch in the living room and slept until the next morning and sitting at the breakfast table, one of their high school boys turned and said, preacher, I think I heard the, the bell ringing at the church last night. I said, yes, I heard it. And he said, what was going on? And, and I told the story. And he said, well, preacher, if I'd known that was you, I'd have come and helped you ring the bell. I think in many ways, that's the way many in that community felt. Hmm. And anyway, the next night, the church was full. Wow. People that I'd visited, I'd pled with to come to Christ, they they began to come. Wow. And I preached on that, finished that week, and uh, I think most of the backsliders in the church had come forward and got things settled. That's next That's next Sunday morning. We, we baptized a dozen or more there. The rest, uh, practically everybody in the church had, had come and got things settled with God and experienced revival. And then they began to say, you know, it's been an embarrassment for us to realize that we've lived in this community all these years and let this church nearly fall down. It hadn't been painted in so long. You couldn't even tell if the paint was on it. Hmm. And they were going to build a new church. And some of those men that had gotten things settled with God, they they said, we're going to gather some lumber and bricks and stone. We're going to build. And some of them were carpenters and had connections with lumber yards. And they began immediately to raise money and to gather what would be needed to build a church. I went on at the end of the year and went on to Princeton, but I, I came back in a couple of years uh, after they'd gotten the church finished to see what was happening. And it's a beautiful church. It's there today. They didn't build it with, with lumber, they built it out of Bedford stone, which is very available in that, that area. They even went to a auction to a church that was closing and they bought us a rose window, stained glass window to put at the back of the pulpit. Hmm. It's a beautiful church. Now they've cleaned it up and everything looks nice. And they even built a sign out in front of the church. That is built of the same Bedford stone as the church. It's about six feet high. And there at the top, there's an opening. And you know what's in the center of that opening of that sign out in front of this church? What's that? That old church bell. (laughs) And one of those two boys that said he would help me ring the bell. He insisted that when they finished the church, they build a sign with that bell in it. And it's there today. Mm-hmm. Beautiful church. Wow. They've wow. even, even paved that gravel road that ran from Mockport highway 
hmm. down about a mile to this church. It's blacktop now, and they've even given it a name, Perseverance Chapel Church. Oh, wow. <laughs> but that's the story of revival, Amen. where people are alive what God made him to be. It's only natural to tell the good news of Jesus and his love. The joy of the Lord constrains you to give the message of redeeming love to the ends of the earth. And that's what revival does. And you don't have to worry about evangelism. When people are revived, they come alive to God. Oh, give us that revival. And we'll see evangelism in America, but you can't contrive it. You can't just organize. You got to have people filled with the spirit of God, just like at Pentecost. And they'll go out and tell the wondrous works of God. That's revival. Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you what, what we need is we need to begin to seek God. We need God to do a work in our hearts that would set us to ringing the bell. Now, it Amen. might not be that kind of bell that, that was at that church, but ringing the bell in our communities and our churches and, uh, and, and uh, 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 with a passion to see people mm-hmm. come to know Jesus Christ. That, that love for God, that love for others needs to be rekindled in our hearts. And, and uh, boy, I thank you for sharing that story. Thank you for sharing about Asbury. Thank you for just encouraging our hearts. And uh, I, I just want us to pray uh, that God would send such a revival uh, back into our churches. I know there are a lot of pastors who are listening to this. Uh, <laughs> oh, I pray that God would just ring your bell, that you might ring his bell, that Amen. you might call people to come to Christ and, and call <laughs> for your community. So l- let's just pray to that end. And so I'm, I'm going to just lead us in a word of prayer here as we close and just ask God to do a work in the hearts of every person who's listening. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you just join your heart with our hearts and, and let's just pray for a great revival that uh, would just uh, bring the gospel into our communities, into our world. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask you to do a work in our lives. Lord, revive us again that we might know, Father, your glory, that we might know mm-hmm. your joy, that, Father, we might have your, your passion for others. Oh, God, I pray you would just do that work. Ring our bells, I pray, Father. And, Lord, I pray you would give us a passion to share Jesus with others. Mm-hmm. Thank you that you're going to do that. Lord, bring us alive in that way in which we would be, be passionate about sharing love with other people. Amen. Thank you for what you're going to do. And we we just pray for every person who's heard uh, this podcast, just touch their lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Dr. Coleman. And, And hey, I'm looking forward to our next podcast when you talk about that book that God has used so greatly, uh, the master plan of evangelism. So thank you so much. And, uh, we'll be talking to you again. God bless you. And God bless all of you who have been uh, listening to this podcast. We hope you've been encouraged. If you'd like to hear more, visit sammytippet.org. There you'll hear podcasts, watch daily devotionals and obtain books by Sammy that will ignite your faith, your love of family, and a passion to reach others.